You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. And um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you give us, um, just give us your word. Communicate to us through the Holy Spirit, through your word. pray this would be edifying and hopeful and helpful. And um, ask your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, Here's what we're going to talk about today. This is a one-off class today. Uh, title is Present Benefits of the Gospel to an Instant Gratification Generation. Um, and I'll talk about what I mean by that in a second. Uh, next, the, the next two weeks will be very good. Matt Schneider is going to talk about basics of family discipleship. Matt has a very good word in this area. Uh, so I highly recommend that. And then uh, for four weeks, we have a phenomenal series. Um, it's going to be called Law, Grace, and the Family. Um, and it'll be four, uh, well, at least three of our best teachers. Um, Gil Cracky will start out talking about the basics of law and grace. Uh, Rita and Drew Wright will teach. Carolyn Lankford will teach. Uh, and then I'm the, I'm the, the, I said there are three great teachers. I'm the fourth. Uh, the previous three are really, really great. Um, but anyhow, all of it will be talking about how the gospel, uh, gives us freedom as a parent, how the gospel informs us and how, we relate to our kids, how it helps us deal with teen anxiety or kids' anxiety, so on and so forth. It'll be really good. So it's going to be a good next uh, six weeks. Um, today, the present benefits of the gospel to an instant gratification generation. All right, so uh, what we're going to talk about, uh, um, what we're going to talk about is, well, first off, um, is thinking about this. A lot of times when people talk about the gospel, they think purely in future terms. We'll talk about that more. You're dealing with a generation of children who are purely focused on the here and now. They are entirely focused on present experience. And so there's a communicative MCAS. I'll talk about that more. We're going to talk about how it is that we communicate something that is often conceptualized as future-oriented to a, to a generation of kids who are just thinking here and now. Like, they're never going to die. They're not worried about the future. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing, too, is I just wanted, want you to think about this. You know, temptation, um, temptation is not a new thing. Right. I mean, Noah got smashed drunk, um, you know, after the flood. So uh, temptation is not a new thing. However, I would say that access to things that are very, very tempting is much greater today because of technology. Um, you know, whatever it is, whether it's access to drugs and alcohol, access to pornography, kids sending naked pictures, that kind of stuff like. Uh, the power of the temptations that kids face today um, are far greater than what we experienced because of technology. And so we're going to talk about how it is that a relationship with Christ here and now, finding life in Christ here and now, um, how that helps kids in the face of all this temptation to get into things that are sinful but are particularly destructive, um, destructive in a lot of different ways. And so a, a person who is... Um, pretty well known around here. His name is Ashley Knoll. Uh, he is an expert on the English Reformation. In particular, Ashley Knoll is an expert on uh, Thomas Cranmer, who was the, the central figure in the English Reformation. And uh, Ashley Knoll, his opinion is that the, you know, he talks about um, how when you're studying a theologian, uh, you want to try to figure out and boil down what is the one or two central questions that their whole career and their whole ministry was based on. Uh, so, for example, Martin Luther, Martin Luther's career, his theology, his ministry was based on the question, 
um, can a man do anything to advance his cause in righteousness? It was a question of, in terms of a person being right with God, justified before God, is that something that, that we can do through our works, or is that something that comes purely by God's grace? That was the question for Martin Luther. That was a future-oriented question. For Thomas Cranmer, according to Ashley Knoll, the question was this, how do we get people to love Jesus more than they love their sin? How do we get people to love Jesus more than they love their idols? Another way to say that, to kind of use some of the terminology that I'll use today, how do we help people to find life and pleasure and joy in Christ more than they find life and pleasure in their idols or in sin? And so that's kind of, that's kind of the question here. And so something that is really encouraging is that uh, the Apostle John, um, in his gospel, the Gospel of John, um, he was facing a similar challenge that we are. Uh, because, you know, we are, like I said, we, the audience, like if you're talking about ministering to kids or ministering to young adults, really, um, you're dealing with people who are completely and entirely focused on the here and now. Um, that is what their paradigm is in terms of spiritual and religious things. They have zero future orientation. Um, well, the Apostle John was facing a similar problem in ministering to, uh, sorry, in, in writing his gospel uh, to the Greek portion of his audience. Greeks, their paradigm for spiritual and religious matters was entirely here and now focused. Uh, and so what we see here is that um, he, was also, he was also writing to a Jewish audience too. And their, their paradigm was entire future oriented. And so what you're going to see, what we're going to look at today is how John kind of solves this problem. Uh, how it is that John uh, presents the gospel to an audience that is uh, entirely present focused. Uh, and the way he does that, that you're going to see, is he has a balanced conception of life in Christ. Like when, if I were to ask, I can remember doing this, you know, several years ago, asking people, and I'd ask you, when you hear the word eternal life, what's your, what's your word association? Heaven, right? Eternal life. Well, that, is, that is not John's conception of eternal life. Eternal life starts the second that you enter into a relationship with Christ. It continues for the rest of life, and then it is amplified in heaven. Uh, it culminates in heaven. And so that's what we're going to see. And so um, we're going to break this down into four sections. Um, we're going uh, to look at the, the, the purpose statement of John's gospel. This is uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the words we're going to look at are first you, we're going to look at the audience of John's gospel. Uh, life, we're going to look at the conceptualization or the, con the conception of life in Christ. Uh, third will be believe. We'll look at the vehicle of life in Christ. And then fourth uh, will be Christ, the source of life in Christ. So that, those will be the four sections of this talk. Uh, and the, and what we're, the, the kind of the purpose we're trying to get across here is we want to help, we ourselves, but also in terms of ministering to and leading our kids, we want to help them find life in Christ here and now. We want them to find life in Christ here and now so that they will love Jesus more than they love their sin. They'll love Jesus more than they love their idols and their temptations. Um, so first, uh, first word is going to be um, you, the audience of life in Christ. And so, um, you know, when it comes to Johannes' uh, scholarship, like looking at, um, looking at the, you know, the, 
the Apostle John and his writings. Uh, with the Gospel of John, there's kind of there have been cycles of debate on whether he's writing to a Jewish audience or to a Greek, Greek audience. There have been generations where people are like, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's predominantly a Jewish audience, and there have been generations where they say, no, it's exclusively a Greek audience. The reality is it's both. That's kind of where it's settled now. It's balanced. He's writing to both Jews and Greeks, and it's pretty flagrantly obvious when you study the Gospel of John. Um, and the thing you got to know about his, his Greek audience is that their paradigm for spiritual and religious things was present experience focused. A scholar named C.H. Dodd, uh, in the interpretation of the fourth gospel, he writes, John's Greek audience influenced his fuller theology of eternal life. Hellenistic religion and philosophy, particularly Gnosticism, sought enlightenment and salvation in this life. Um, there's a, a Jewish philosopher and theologian named Philo, and he was thought to be very influenced by Greek philosophy. The reason that people primarily say that is because Philo wrote about present experience, which was very not Jewish. Uh, and so that's, a, that, the, that's just kind of another uh, example of how it is that uh, Greek thought, when they thought about religion and philosophy, they, they wanted to know, how does this affect me now? They didn't care about the afterlife. They cared about here and now. And so um, what we you know, have today with uh, young people... Um, that you know in our lives uh, is that they are the same way like their paradigm for religious and spiritual matters is here and now focused this is a quote from a book called growing young by uh, Kara Powell she's one of the absolute gurus on um, on like youth ministry and youth spirituality and so on and so forth she's at Fuller Youth Institute uh, and she wrote the book sticky faith which is a really really good book I think it's one of it's it's one of the best books in youth ministry um, not as good as gospel Sunday youth ministry, but it's a very good book. <laughs> Anyhow, so, um, <laughs> full self Um, sorry, that was completely of the flesh. Um, all right. So, um, so this is a quote from that book, uh, from, from this book that, that looked at the spiritual lives of young people. Uh, it said a majority of people in churches growing young talked about here and now faith. There was very little focus on going to heaven and hardly any talk of hell. Salvation was a major theme, but a kind of salvation that is more focused on life in the present than something way, something way off in the future. In other words, young people, leaders, and parents seem compelled by a faith that promises not only reward at the end, but also transformation now in everyday life. So basically, when talking to kids and teenagers about spiritual things, it was all about how does this apply to my life now? There was hardly any talk of the future. And so there are a number of reasons for this. Like, why is it that kids are so so focused on present experience here and now? Um, and there are kind of four four reasons I would throw out there. Uh, one of those is kind of obviously is technology. Uh, you know, do you remember the day? And some of you some of you youngsters in here um, don't remember the day of blockbuster video. You know, it used to be that if you wanted to watch a video, uh, you you know got mom and dad to drive you down to the blockbuster. And if it was a really hot movie, then you got to, you had to put yourself on the wait list, and then you have to go home, and then you'd have to, you know, get you maybe you get the call from Blockbuster or whatever. Hey, Lauren, great to see you. Give me a high five. <laughs> Bring it home for the real thing. Um, but uh, you know, then you'd drive back down to Eastwood Mall uh, or to the Village. I don't know. I still call it Eastwood Mall, and that's so funny. Oh yeah. Anyhow, um, then you'd have to drive back down. You'd get your VHS for the VCR player. And then you would watch your movie. Well, now, how do kids watch movies? They just pick up their phone, man. They watch it on their phone. So, like, 
Back in the day, it was you know anywhere from like a 24-hour to week-long cycle before you got that video. Now it's like, eh, I want to watch you know Mean Girls. <laughs> Boom, right there on your phone instantly. And so they are conditioned. Uh, they are conditioned to like what I want, I get right now, which is not good. You know that is that is that feeds uh, you know our sense of that we can be the god of our own life. It feeds a sense um, sense of our flesh. Uh, but it's a reality. It's a reality, and it feeds the, their present focus orientation. Second factor would be healthcare. Uh, 200 years ago, the average lifespan was about 35 years. Uh, today, average lifespan in North America is between uh, um, is between 79 and 81 years. So, say on average, 80 years. It's more than doubled uh, in 200 years. And so, I was talking about this talk um, to some of my students a couple weeks ago. And, and they were like, look, man, we, I mean, let's just keep it real. I mean, no one really thinks they're going to die. You know, like dying is something that's like 50 years off. Uh, and so because of healthcare, there really is a sense of like worrying about the future, worrying about death. Like that's not really a factor because I'll get to that in 50 years or so. Uh, third factor would be uh, pragmatism. Pragmatism is uh, a, a predominant philosophical undercurrent in the culture. Here's how it's defined. It says prag pragmatism contends that most philosophical topics, such as the nature of knowledge, language, concepts, meanings, belief, and science, are all best viewed in terms of their practical uses and successes. So, you know, in terms, in terms of the way that people think, uh, and, you know, this filters down to kids and the culture, the thinking is, whatever, whatever it is, how is this practical, how is this useful now? That's how people think here now. So that is, uh, that is a present experiential mindset. Fourth factor would be developmental factors. This is particularly true with teenagers. Um, teenagers don't tend to make wise choices, right? <laughs> There's a reason that your teenager's uh, car insurance is substantially higher than yours. And that is because neurologically, their brains are just not uh, developed to the point they're not adept at assessing risk, particularly long-term risk, right? So it's like, you know, if they think about crossing some kind of line when it comes to drugs, they're not thinking that if there are some jobs that they're going to interview for maybe eight to ten years from now where they're going to say, hey, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And if they say yes, they're going to be out of the job. They're not thinking about that, right? They're not thinking about, like, oh, I'm going to send this image to that boy or to that girl. They're not thinking about, like, oh, this image is now in the, you know, the technosphere forever. Right? Then they just they they're developmentally not very future oriented. So, uh, so with that being said, here's the problem. The problem is that historically the way that people talk about the gospel is exclusively future oriented, in the way that we talk about the gospel with kids. Uh, so I don't know if any of you grew up in an evangelical setting. I'm sure some of you did, uh, but usually, uh, usually here is how the gospel was presented. Now I grew up Southern Baptist. It was if you were to die tonight, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Right? <laughs> that's a two-syllable word, and that's not a type of, uh, you know, what's, what's the term? doesn't fall from the sky. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? All right, so it's always talking about, you know, it's always talking about in terms of when you die. Um, and so... As a result, and, and it's interesting. I can remember asking kids, like, what's the gospel? You know, why did Jesus come? They said, well, Jesus came so that if I die, I'll go to heaven. 
That is a future orientation. But here's the issue. Teenagers today don't think in those terms. They only think in present orientation. They don't think in future orientation. So if you are talking purely about the gospel in terms, or eternal life, in terms of when you die and go to heaven, you're going to be hitting in an area where they do not have a paradigm. They do not have concern. It's very, very low in terms of their sense of like present need and urgency. So you have to talk about the gospel both in terms of present benefit and future as well. Uh, and we'll get, get to that in a little bit. So next, we're going to talk about second part two is life, John's conception of life in Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see how John so effectively, and, and this is what's on your sheet, these scriptures right here are on the handout um, that you may have received. Hopefully we have enough. Um, but what you're going to see is how John is dealing with the same problem. People, Greeks, who have a total, their paradigm is exclusively focused on present experience. How does this affect me now? And you're going to see how John, and he's also talking to Jews, who are, they were exclusively focused on the future. Like if you re look at, do like a word study of the term life, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to see that they talk about it in future terms because they have a more Jewish audience. Uh, so they're hitting more of the Jewish paradigm for spirituality and religion. Um, but with John, you're going to see he does, he's talking to both, and he hits them both, and it's, it's really pretty amazing to see his balanced conceptualization of eternal life. So before we get into that, um, what, what do we mean by life? Uh, this, is, this is the word that John uses for this sense of hope and peace and joy that a person has in relationship with Christ. Um, the baker, and the, the Greek word is zoe. Um, so, Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, this is how it defines life. It says, a new quality of life that is now on offer to the believer who has passed from death to life. A sense of joy and glory. Uh, George Baker Stevens, he defines it as an ultimate sense of happiness and satisfaction. And then E.F. Scott calls it an immediate gift to the believer. So I think basically life is this kind of super word um, where the thing that we all long for deep down in our heart, that sense of like rest, that sense of like a sense of joy and happiness in our heart, the sense of hope when we look to the future, like that is life is all of those things kind of rolled up into one. Uh, and so, you know, we think like I think that if I have my kids 529 plan filled and I have enough money in the bank and I can go on cool vacations and go skiing every year and all this kind of stuff, I think that that will give me life, but that's idolatry. Like, that does not give me life. The only thing that truly gives me sustainable life is Jesus, here and now. And so, anyhow, so we're going to look at, sorry, back back to John. That was a sidetrack. Um, all right, first text is going to be John 10, 9 through 10. And what we're going to do in looking at these texts where John talks about life is see how he hits both the present and the future. Um, so, first... I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So when Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved is a future-oriented word. That is talking about eternal salvation when you die. Going to heaven rather than hell. Or hell. Um but then, in verse 10, when he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, that is present tense. That is here and now. The thing that's pretty cool, and I think it's a powerful thing to communicate to kids, is God wants you to have life. 
Like, Jesus said, I have come, I have died, so that you will have life, and not just have life, but have it abundantly, have it richly. So it is the desire and purpose of God that you would have life in Christ. All right, text number two. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, present reality. I give them eternal life here and now. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Future reality. They will never perish under God's judgment. They will be preserved and in relationship with God now and forever. It's something that is given by grace. Life and now is given by grace. Now I give them life. And eternal security is something that is given as a gift of grace in the future. No one will snatch them from my hand. That's text number two. Text number three. John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. This one's pretty moneyball. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's a present experience. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life, future salvation. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, future, and is now here, present. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. They will have life. So basically, it's, it's, it's this both and. In Paul, you call it the now and the not yet. But it's this both and where when a person first becomes a believer, when they first put their, their faith in Jesus and they ask Christ to forgive their sins, they have heard the voice of God and they enter into life there. And on the last day, when, you know, the final judgment, they will also hear the voice and they will enter into eternal life. So you can see both and really cool. Got a little chill bumps there. Okay. Text number four, John chapter six, verse 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of the father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life here and now. And I will raise him up at the last day, future orientation. Here's another one. And by the way, I just got back from John Piper's conference. I don't know if any, any of you ever heard of him, but his John Piper's, uh, John Piper's uh, mantra is God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied with him. He says, if you want to serve God, if you want to be a good witness for Jesus in the world, then find deep joy in Jesus Christ. And in doing that, you will become an attractive witness and you will glorify God. So he, he, he does this little tweak of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So, um, so anyhow, look at this. It says, this is the will of him who sent me. Like it is the will of God the Father that we would have life in Christ it glorifies and honors God the Father when we find joy, hope, peace, when we find life in his Son here and now. Like, I don't know about you, but that's a really freeing thing. And also, too, I mean, a lot of uh, naturally in our flesh, like, we kind of have this mentality that, you know, like, God is all about no. You know, especially kids, like... Hey, the Bible says don't drink before you're 21. The Bible says don't have premarital sex. The Bible says don't look at porn. The Bible says don't, 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 right? And so uh, the problem with that is like, what are we saying yes to, you know? 
We don't talk about what, what the Bible says yes to. But the Bible is saying, no, don't do that because there's something richer in Jesus. Like sin robs you of the joy, the peace, and the hope that comes with being in relationship with Christ. You find those things in Christ. Uh, and so anyhow, I think it's a really empowering thing to say to a kid, uh, and really for us to say to ourselves that like, you glorify and honor and serve God, the Father, by finding life and joy in your relationship with Jesus here and now. The more satisfied you are with Christ now, the more you're glorifying God in your life. That's a service to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Take that boy out of the Baptist church. Can't take the Baptist church out of the boy, right? Um, all right, last thing. Um, last thing, John chapter 3, verse 16, a commonly known text. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, um, a Pharisee. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, in this one, John is talking exclusively about future salvation. And one thing, um, one thing I would say um, is, I think a way that this talk could be misunderstood is to hear, oh, you're saying, don't talk about eternal life um, you know, in terms of having eternal security when you die. Don't talk about it at all. Just focus on the, on the, the present. That's not what I'm saying. Well, as you notice in John, he, he talks in both and terms, both present and future, and I, I think we need to do the same. Um, you know, I, I think it's problematic that kids don't think about their eternal security. Uh, I mean, like, we all know life is fragile, right? I mean, I know that. My son, you know, went to bed one night and didn't wake up. So, um, uh, we are uh, kids who are like, I've got 50 years to worry about that. Like, that's a delusion. You know, like, we, we all know, I mean, if you, especially if you're a teacher, you work with kids, every year there's a kid who dies in your school. Uh, there's no way around it. And so um, we, need to, um, we need to talk about it in both, uh, not, but not one to the exclusion of the other. Um, okay, so next, um, next point, point number three. Uh, this word is believe, the vehicle of life in Christ. Uh, so you can see in uh, the purpose statement of John, doing okay on time, a lot of content. Going to try to make this happen. Okay. Uh, three is the uh, believe, the vehicle of life in Christ. So John, in, 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 his, uh, in the purpose statement of the gospel, John 20, verse 31, uh, he uses the word believe twice. He says, you know, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of Christ, is the is is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Uh, and so He's talking about belief at two levels here. Uh, at one level, He is talking about belief as um, intellectual assent, like that you intellectually do say, "Yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ was in fact the Son of God. He was the promised Messiah of the Bible." Uh, but then when He says, "By believing you may have life in His name," what He's talking about there is personal trust and dependence. Uh, Dictionary of Bible Languages is how it defines belief in that way. It says, complete personal trust to put something into the care of another. So I just talked about the gospel and confirmation. The thing is, and I think this is important to make clear, is that we're all trusting in something. Like in our flesh, from the day we're born, we're trusting in ourself. And when a person becomes a believer, they are now shifting their trust from their self from the, their, their moral and uh, religious performance to the performance of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. And so uh, what you see here is that John is saying the way, uh, we can't just tell kids like, hey, you'll find life in Jesus without giving, telling them what the vehicle is, right? 
Um, we, like as the church, people who are paid to teach Sunday school classes, like we can't just say that without saying how. Like how do we find life in Christ? And um, and so you know what John says is it comes through belief. It comes through daily dependence on Jesus. Um, every day, whatever the affairs, whatever the matters are, whatever your concerns and your anxieties are in your life, handing those over into the care of God. But what you see is that in John, um, belief is uh, belief is not uh, belief slash trust always come in context with intimate fellowship with Christ. So intimate relationship and belief go hand in hand. If you know Christ, you'll trust Christ. As a result of that, you'll have life in Christ. If you trust Christ, then you will know Christ. As a product of that, you'll have life in Christ. So in, in um, you see this particularly true in John chapter 10, where Jesus uh, uh, identifies himself as the good shepherd. So he says, He who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice intimate relationship. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So when Jesus is talking about follow, that would be a good, very good language for trust or believing. Because if you're following someone, you've handed over control to them. Like you are, you are trusting them to lead you to the right place. And then, so, you, so then you see um, trust is accompanied with this fellowship. Listen to this language, language of they hear his voice. It's very intimate language. He calls his own sheep by name. Like he knows us personally. Um, we know his voice. So back in the days before caller ID, another old fogey, uh, you know, <laughs> go all the way back, you know, th- there was a time when people would call and you didn't know who was calling, but you just, it was just, they would say, hey, because it was your mom or it was your best friend or it was your grandmother. And you just knew their voice. They didn't have to say, hi, Cameron, this is your mother. You know, you just knew their voice. There was an intimacy there. And so same thing here with Christ. Um, John chapter 10, verse 27, 28, he says again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, intimate fellowship, and they follow me. There's trust and belief. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Um, so for John, for John, like basically what he's saying is, there's not a there's no there's not this bifurcation of like uh, present and then future. For John, it's just when a person trusts Jesus and they enter into a relationship with them, with him, that is the beginning of eternal life. And eternal life continues as you walk with Jesus your whole life, and then it is amplified to an infinite degree when you enter into heaven. And so the hope is in that course of you come into initial fellowship with Christ that eternal life would grow. As you know Jesus more through his word, as you know Jesus more through trusting him in your life, that that life, that that eternal life that you experience, the joy, the hope, the peace, that it would grow as you nurture and cultivate relationship with him, know him more, trust him more, so on and so forth. Um, So, I know this is a ton of content, ton, a ton of content. Um, Last, last point. So, before I say that, I think, and this is something that's really that's incumbent, particularly can come in upon us as the church, but also too as family is. Uh, I'll say this: I think there's a temptation uh, as a church and as a person who works with kids to just like form kids who have the right answers, you know, because that's very affirming, right? Man, my kids—they know doctrine. It's a way that you can concretely prove that they, that like something you have done has made an impact if they can answer the questions. Um, 
But you have this risk of like forming kids who know the answers, but they don't really actually know Jesus. Or they know how to answer questions, but they don't know how to like cultivate a relationship with Jesus. So um, especially as kids get older, I think one thing that we put a lot of focus on, both in one-on-one relationships, but also too in our Bible studies, is trying to help kids practically know like through a devotional life how to cultivate uh, intimate fellowship with Jesus. I think that's really important uh, as a church and family, something we want to try to do together. All right, last point, point number four. Hang in there. Uh, it is the source of the source of life in Christ, and that is Jesus himself. Um, so I, I talked about a problem, problem that I'm not out of time, hallelujah. Um, I talked about a problem, one previous problem about the way that we talk about the gospel with kids historically as purely future orientation. Another problem in the way that we talk about the gospel with kids is we very often talk about it in transactional terms. What I mean by that is historically, um, give me the head nod if you grew up in this environment where this was kind of how it was, uh, how it was presented to you. But it's basically like, okay, there was this guy named Jesus. He came, he died for my sins. I put my faith in him. I get into heaven. Boom. And it's like this transaction, you know, like Jesus did his part. I do my part. I get my eternal life insurance. Boom, we're good to go. Uh, and the way that it's presented um, is more of like, um, you know, how you ch- cash a check at the bank, more so than like entering into a relationship with, with a person. The thing that's lacking in the way that it's presented is Jesus himself. Like that the prize of salvation is actually Jesus himself. Like that's the source of eternal life. And like this is particularly true when we talk about heaven also because, uh, you know, people are very curious about like the physical details of heaven and, um, you know, is there going to be food? Is there going to be dancing? Will my dog be there? Well, if you look at the Bible, there's hardly, there's really very little talk about the physical features of heaven. Like theology of what's in heaven is dominated by the personal presence of Jesus. Like what makes heaven heaven is that you're in the personal presence of Jesus forever. Like that's what makes it so good. And that's what makes salvation here and now so good is the relationship with Christ. So um, with that being said, um, you know, Jesus in the gospel of John, listen to the ways, some of the ways he identifies himself. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of life. I am the bread of life. I am spirit and life. I am living water, thus the water of life. So, um, so with that being said, I think something to, to be really clear on is that like kids will not find life in Christianity. They will not find life in church attendance, although that's really good. They will not find life in being good. Like they will find life in the person Jesus and in relationship with Jesus. We need to be really, really clear on that um, to emphasize that Jesus is the treasure of salvation. Like Jesus, um, Jesus is the prize. I have a, a really good friend uh, named Don Admire who um, he's like six nine, two ninety. He had done when I first met him. He lived like two hundred feet from me. When I first doing, started doing youth ministry, he had been doing youth ministry for over 20 years. And uh, Don, Don, um, he w- he begins most sentences with the word baby. And so I would get, after like I would do youth group on Sunday night. He'd do youth group at his church, and then we'd get together afterwards um, and and do things that Episcopalians and Presbyterians do together. <laughs> anyhow, um, and uh, anyhow, and so he'd go, 
he'd always give me these gospel nuggets. And they'd always be, oh, baby, let me tell you, baby. <laughs> so his one was, baby, we've been telling kids what they're saved from, but we don't ever tell kids what they're saved to. Like, you know, we told kids that they got what they got out of, but we don't tell them what they, what, you know, what the yes is, what the, what the prize is. And so I would kind of uh, even modify that to say we, we tell kids what they've been saved from, but we don't tell them whom they've saved to. We have to make sure that they know that, Jesus, that the, the gospel is personal. Like the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, the prize of the gospel is the person Jesus. So final two applications. To land the plane um, is this. One is I would say, going back to the original issue of um, just the onslaught of temptations that kids face. You know, it's just not... I, I think a lot of times we can think about like, life in Christ, that would be a nice thing that we want, or that would be a, like a nice preference, so to speak. Uh, but in reality, like kids need life in Christ. Like they need life in Christ. They, we cannot just say to them, like, don't do these things. Those are bad decisions. Those things are sinful. They will have consequences. That is not enough. You have to have something to say yes to. And so I just think it is, uh, it is urgent that we help kids find life in Christ here and now, uh, so that they can find pleasure and delight in something that is good and something that's sustainable and something that's life-giving and not destructive uh, as compared to the things that they're very, very tempted by. Um, and we, we really need to respect that. And then the last thing I would say, best thing that any parent can do for their kid, best thing, is to find life in Christ yourself. really is. The, thing, the reason I want my kids... Um, the reason I want my kids to know Jesus and to know the gospel is because Jesus is the single most satisfying thing I've ha- I have in my life, by far. Um, and I've had a really good life. And so I want that for my kids. And so, I mean, think about all of the like hurdles and challenges to like spiritually investing in your kids, whether that's like, oh, this is going to be an awkward conversation, or oh, let's just go to bed and not, you know, not read the Jesus Storybook Bible tonight, or... Your kid gives you flack about praying with them or they want to listen to this music and you are, want to play the New City Catechism, whatever it is. Um, you know, or the fight, the Sunday morning, you know, the fight. We all know the battle. Like getting them in their clothes and it's a weekend and oh my goodness, the British Open is on. And, uh, you know, it's a fight, right? And so the more that you yourself find satisfaction in Jesus, the more motivated and the more, you know, strength you're going to have in fighting the battle. And, 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 and fighting through those obstacles that are inevitably there. And so I think that, to me, that's like a really freeing thing to hear. Like, hey, what's the, what's the most important thing for me to do as a parent? To find joy in life in Christ. And if, if I'm taking care of that, then not everything else, but most things are going to flow out of that. That's gonna, everything else is going to be substantially easier. So, you know, that's all I have. That was so much content. Really sorry. Anybody have any, uh, I, don't think we, I don't know if we have any questions. I do have actually two minutes left. Does anybody have any questions? Or is your pinwheel on your screen kind of going like this? Yeah. All right. If anybody wants to talk about it. Yes. Cameron, there's that book that I just am loving that's about this called Union with Christ. You've taught on it before in the past. Yep. By Rankin Wilburn. Oh, yeah. Favorite yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I would say there are a lot of different books on union with Christ, and some of them are so intellectually hard to read. 
Rankin-Wilburn is just the most accessible and practical. Yeah, Rankin-Wilburn Union with Christ. It won in a big award uh, in 2017, yeah. pretty sure. I think for accessible. Kind of the same thing that I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Thanks for that. Was a great suggestion because that's yeah that's 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 more of like how Paul talks about the same matter. That's more Pauline, but it's it's so money. It's all in there together. Okay, great. I'll pray for us. Jesus, uh, thank you that you have uh, lived and you've died and you've made it so that we can ha- experience and taste eternal life here and now in you and teach us all how to do that and give us uh, hope and confidence in that pursuit and give us wisdom in how we um, how we lead our children. Please, God, uh, protect them. And please, Lord, help them to find life in Christ. So we trust you with these things. Ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.